In this episode, we revisit Ecuador and we'll share with you the requirements for visiting this destination, including the special rules for the Galapagos Islands. The War Nomads Podcast. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous independent traveller. Hi, it's Kim and Phil here. Thanks for tuning in to the World Nomads Travel Podcast. Please rate, share and subscribe from wherever you get your favourite podcast because there are plenty of travel stories, Phil, to share and places that you can visit. Now, commercial flights to Ecuador resumed in June 2020 and is open to US citizens. But what do they need to know, Phil? So at the time of recording this, all travellers arriving in Ecuador should provide proof of a negative COVID PCR test taken no more than 10 days before entering the country. If you don't present symptoms of COVID, you do not need to perform mandatory quarantine, but special rules apply for the Galapagos Islands. And if you, regardless of your nationality or residency status, if you want to go to the Galapagos, you must have taken the COVID PCR test and get a negative result within 96 hours, what's that, four days of entry into the Galapagos province. More thorough info in show notes along with our email address if you want to get in touch with us. They do a lot to protect the Galapagos, don't they? And you'll hear about that in this episode. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty tight and it's pretty well controlled anyway because it is such an important place. Yeah. Well, we've edited a previous episode we launched featuring Ecuador, reminding you of the stunning waterfalls and hikes and even tips for travelling light. Now, we kicked off with Nicole from Colourful Ecuador, who you caught up with at a conference in Edinburgh, asking her what it is that she loves most about Ecuador. The people are really like it's it's they're very genuine, but also like how the culture is built. It's very much based on on sharing, on having time for persons. Uh, um, if if somebody has one dollar, they will buy a beer and they will share it together. Like it's not it's not about a, a very selfish culture. It's just yeah, just about life. And then, like for me, that is what makes me happy in life of being able to have the time to share, of but not being busy now with what I'm actually going to be doing tomorrow in a couple of hours so also to have this this thing that you can basically do what you want to do at that moment so for example when we have a busy day in the office and we say let's just go out the whole office for karaoke everybody can like even if we say it's at two o'clock in the afternoon like a few phone calls are made to parents and grandparents and uh, boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives and at five o'clock we're all singing karaoke like so that's that's a bit of how the spirit is like it's basically of living there it's not the most efficient culture in the world and we might like if we would be working in europe we do it with a lot less people but we have fun like there's 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 a genuine like happy vibe always everywhere uh, and so how is it one of those countries where the majority of people live in the capital or is it spread out? Or? It's quite spread out. Like the, the capital is, is Quito, so that has about a 2 million people. So Guayaquil is the biggest city of Ecuador. It's the one of the most, well, the, the product, most productive city. It's based on uh, the coastal area. So there it has about 2.5 million people. So those are like the, the two main areas where people live. In total, we have 13 million people living within Ecuador. A lot of more of Ecuadorians living outside of Ecuador. Uh, but after Quito and Guayaquil, like the biggest city is Cuenca, and that's about 500,000. So it goes down 
I heard you speaking, uh, we're here at WISTIC, I heard you speaking the other day about there are, what, four or five regions of the country. Just take us yeah. through those. So we, yeah, we, we divide the country a bit in, in four regions. So we have the, the Sierra, we call it. It's the Andean region, so it's everything to do with the mountains. We have a whole Andean spine going through the whole of Ecuador, uh, basically from the border of Colombia to the border of, uh, of Peru. So that we call it the, the Andes. So there's, there's beautiful snow-capped volcanoes, villages, uh, there's a lot of indigenous people living there as well. We have colorful markets, but also the capitals and the colonial centers. Uh, we have the Amazonia, so that's the jungle area. It's the whole Amazon basin. Uh, we don't actually touch uh, the Amazon. That's one of our biggest frustrations. Like They, they say that uh, the Peruvians took it away, so that's a bit like a, <laughs> a bit of neighbor resentment in that part. Uh, but it's the whole Amazonian basin, so that's everything that we call the jungle area. We have the coastal plains, so that's the part mostly going up to the coast, so that's the whole Pacific coast. And then Galapagos is a separate region for us as well. So those are the four ones, like the Amazon. Let's Sierra, start with the big coast. one, the Galapagos. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, is it heavily protected? It's heavily protected in a way that it's, it's not easy to move there. Like it's part of Ecuador, but it's considered a complete, like we have a special regimen that, that goes there. So there's there are special laws for the part of the Galapagos. There are special labor laws as well, as also in how, that you, how much you pay people. For example, salaries in Galapagos are 75% higher than the mainland. That's by law. So the minimum wage in Ecuador at the moment is 385. And in Galapagos, it's 575. So that's, that's already a difference. Uh, and you have to be Galapagueño to be able to live there. Becoming Galapagueño, you can be born there or you can marry into it. That's the only way basically you can get it. And then as uh, an Ecuadorian or as any other foreigner that has like a valid working visa, you're able to go and work there if you are allowed to buy the, the government. So that means basically as a Galapagos company, you can apply for it. You can say, okay, I've looked between all the Galapagueños that live there and there's none that fit my description. Uh, I need, uh, for example, a marine biologist with so many years of experience in researching turtles. I have this person and then they tell you how much time they are authorized to do it. It's normally maximum a year and you can extend it up until five times. So that's like the maximum. So that's that's one of the, the ways that they're trying to protect it because in the past, especially with the tourism industry uh, growing a little bit, there were people moving there and then starting to work, uh, especially as waiters and receptionists because also the guiding part is heavily protected. Like you can only become a Galapagos National Park guide if you are a Galapagano. So that takes the level of the guide sometimes down quite a bit. Uh, to have, so a lot of, for example, the, like companies that want to have like a, really good nature experience, they send both a biologist and a Galapagos National Park guide to do with the park with the regulations. Uh, and what about just uh, as a visitor though, if you... Um... As the visitor, you're allowed to come for 60 days a year. That's the, the maximum you can stay there. So um, they, are, they, they, they put in some new laws that were put into place in May and they're actually going to be effective in, the, in November. So that changes the whole rules on plastic. Uh, there's no plastic straws allowed, there's no plastic uh, if you want, no plastic containers. So so if you're going on a boat excursion, you will get all like just normal plates and everything. There's nothing that can be thrown away um, and no plastic bags. So you're not even allowed to bring your shoes in a plastic bag, like 
nothing that is plastic that can only be used once. So that is the biggest change in, in the law that's going to be effective on the 1st of uh, November. And one of the other things that you cannot go without an itinerary. So you already have to have a plan uh, and that you're staying in the legally approved hotels because of, yeah, other forms of, of accommodation also took a flight of people just staying like in people's houses. And that is not the idea. Like the idea is that the national park also regulates all the hotels that are approved to be in the Galapagos National Park in the residential areas, basically, because only 3% of the Galapagos National Park is actually allowed to be lived at, uh, which are the like the four towns that we actually have and the, a couple of the highland parts where there's some farming allowed. And that is that is controlled how to do their waste management, how to do their water management. So also to like to keep everything at low control, they have now in store that like, you cannot travel there and just see what kind of hotel you're going to book when you're arriving. What's your favourite part outside of the Galapagos? Actually, they're, for me, there are places above the Galapagos uh, within Ecuador. Um, there's parts called, uh, there's parts we call the Paramo, which is above the three and a half thousand meters. They have like a most amazing landscapes. So if you drive, for example, from Quito to Tena, Tena is one of like the easy accessible jungle towns. You go from 2,800 meters up to four and a half thousand more or less by the road. And that's, it just gives amazing landscapes with, uh, we call it Paja, so it's like grass and with uh, lakes everywhere and then you go all the way down to the jungle so like the nice thing around Ecuador is just like sit in the public bus or go and drive with somebody in a car and just look out the window because it changes every five minutes you have a different different view and so like the Paramo would be one of it you have uh, near Cuenca if you drive from Cuenca to uh, Guayaquil you have El Cajas it's a national park and it's actually one big lake and there's uh, moss on top of it so it's you can walk on it what it's there, there's, there's meters wide moss. So you, you walk on top of it and you walk through this forest and it's like a whole fairy tale that came alive. They're beautiful, beautiful yeah, lakes and little trees and you can see, well, the, the rabbit, the foxes, different things around it. And they make, you make beautiful hiking there. Wow. So that is really, really great. Uh, there's some areas where you have just waterfall after waterfall. There's also, yeah, just parts where you have very, like turning windling roads so every time you look like there's like another another turn in the road and you see like another five waterfalls coming down so those are beautiful and of course like the the the, the whales like every every summer i do i do try to go because it's just one of these things that you're like you're this i was there a couple of weeks ago and just from the beach you could see the whales jump so and they're so big like it's always an amazing thing it doesn't matter how many times you've seen them like this whole bus size animal coming out of the out of the ocean it's, yeah it's wonderful tell us what it is you do what your company does there how people can get in contact with you Okay. Uh, well, I work for Colorful Ecuador Travels. Uh, we're a company that's uh, it's inbound tourism, so we try we organize everything around Ecuador and the Galapagos. If you want to go anywhere else, we'll refer you to other people because we we really love what we do. So, as a company, we really believe in yeah in what the country has to offer. So we organize the trips. We put together and connect uh, both providers with with the clients in general, and we've started also like operating different parts of hotels. So we have uh, Casa Liso. It's a small boutique hotel in in Quito. 
We work with, together with NDC Science, an educational hotel, or it's an educational center actually. Uh, and the hotel supports the whole part of, uh, of the center in Guamotte, uh, which is about four hours from Quito. We have Mogusta Galapagos, so we do Galapagos Island hopping in a different way, also connecting the local providers so that there's people, like the, the real situations that there are people living on the Galapagos Islands. So it's also nice to support the local businesses, which is a way that you do with, with a part of the island hopping. Uh, and we also do volunteer work and, uh, and have a Spanish school in Quito. If anybody's going to Ecuador, get onto it. Thanks so much for talking. It's great. <laughs> You're very welcome. Yeah, links in show notes. And Nicole painted a beautiful picture of Ecuador, so let's start to pick it apart. We'll kick it off with Cam. He's written a couple of books, including The Hidden Tracks, and as of 2018, he's hiked more than 60,000 miles, or 96 1,561 Ks in some 56 countries and six continents. Cam, how are you going? Are your feet sore? <laughs> Jeez, I feel a bit weary just hearing that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, yeah, you've tired me out. That's, that's a hell of a lot of trekking. So can you expand on hiking in Ecuador? Okay, well, it's been about... I spent about five or six weeks in Ecuador back in 2004, so it's been a while. But the two things that really stand out for me in regards to Ecuador are the volcanoes and a national park by the name of Cajas. That's spelled C-A-J-A-S. And uh, in regards to the volcanoes, Ecuador, it's a pretty small country. Uh, I think it's... uh, a little bit bigger than Victoria in area-wise. but um, I've got to say, though, mate, like much of our audience in America, so I'll check it out, but it's got to be about the size of Rhode Island, hasn't it? <laughs> 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 no, a little bit bigger than Rhode Island. But, uh, <laughs> but I think there's like about 50 volcanoes and um, a bunch of them are active and and probably the, the most, well, definitely the most famous one and maybe the most beautiful is one called Cotopaxi. It's about... Okay, seeing most of your audience are in the States, it's almost 20,000 feet high, <laughs> you know, about 5,800 metres, give yep. or take. And uh, it's got that beautiful symmetrical shape. And there's a hike you can do around the base of it, like uh, you can circumnavigate the volcano. It's about 80 kilometres long, takes anywhere between four and six days. And, yeah, it's just a, an absolutely gorgeous hike. And um, the whole time you just get this series of views of the volcano and um, – I think it's also one of the most active volcanoes in the world. It, it's, it's erupted more than like 50 times over the last few centuries, but maybe not in the last 100 years, so it's probably due. So. Cam, it'd be a very quick five to six days then if, if you're trekking the base of a, an active volcano. Yeah, you definitely have your skates on for a lot of it. I mean, if you see all these puffs come out of it, you probably go a little bit quicker. But <laughs> uh, it's pretty cool. You go through all these dense forests and high grasslands and broad valleys. You go over these lava flows, and um, yeah, it's just a gorgeous volcano. Very like, very much like Mount uh, Mount Fuji in Japan or, or Mount Taranaki in New Zealand. And um, yeah, it's a, a stunning hike. And the other place I think about. Uh, in Ecuador when it comes to hiking is is the National Park I referenced before, Cajas, which is just actually just up the road from this beautiful old colonial town by the name of Cuenca. And uh, Cuenca's the Panama hat capital of the world. (laughs) It's a really lovely little town. And um, Cajas is this national park, uh, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes drive from there. And it's, it's got over a couple of hundred lakes and glacial valleys and rocky peaks and cloud forests and really not it's it's off the radar uh, not a lot of people go hiking there and 
it's really wet as well. Think Scotland, but you know, without the pubs and the bothies. Uh, ah. Yeah, it's, it's it's an incredible country. It packs in a lot of stuff in, in a, a relatively small amount of space. So the the book, The Hidden Tracks, uh, which I'm guessing is your latest book, um, it's great. But, which sounds so patronising, doesn't it? It's great, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the Kim seal of approval. Yeah, you, you don't get to really say it's crappy when you have me on for a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it because it's it's super I- inspirational. And there are lots of other things about the layout of the book that I really like too. But it kicks off with this concept of stranger to guest to family. What do you mean by that? That's something I came up with uh probably about 25, I'm showing my age a bit here, but probably about 25 years ago on a trip to the South Island of New Zealand. And it, it's basically what I call a, a natural progression, which is which is something which I guess is a transformation that can take place when people spend a lot of time out in nature. You know, I mean, when a, when a lot of folks first head out in the woods, particularly if they haven't grown up in the country, you know, they might feel a little bit like a fish out of water, you know, a stranger in a strange land and, you know, the odd sounds at night, you know, they're not really used to or too hot or too cold or too muddy or too wet. And, um, and you know, sometimes for, for, for some people, you know, the first time might prove to be the last. But uh, I think for those that persevere, and, and this is a key, like in so doing, really learn to accept Mother Nature on its own terms, um, a, a transformation, this natural progression can take place and slowly but surely you become accustomed to those sort of conditions that, that hitherto had been the catalyst of, you know, worries and fears and and as the experiences accumulate, the worries begin to fade and instead of a stranger, you just start to feel like a guest, you know, a guest when you're out in the wilderness, a welcome guest. And um, and then in the third stage, the, the guest to family. I like it. Phil, you love that yeah, kind of stuff, don't stuff. you? Uh, so what was your motivation then for, for getting off the beaten track? And obviously it's 60,000 miles. You're a pretty, pretty keen hiker. Yeah, you could say that. Uh, well, I think, you know, all the biggies like freedom, you know, the, the challenge of it, connection with nature. But I think for a, a lot of it for me has always come down to just simplicity. I think um, I think I realised at a fairly young age that I was at my happiest when my life was at its most simple. And, um, and I was at my most miserable when everything was complicated. So, And I think spending time out in the woods, you know, when everything, you've got everything you need in the world on your back, it really hits home that you don't need a lot of stuff to be happy. And uh, and I think that's always been a huge motivation for me for heading out into the wilderness. So what have been some of the challenges then? You've, you've painted a pretty romantic picture, but, you know, this this concept of stranger to guest to family, as we know with families, it can often be a rocky road. All right, I'll give you the flip side. I'll give you the flip side. <laughs> Back in the mid nineties, there was one time I was attacked by a rabid dog when I was hiking in these uh, this oasis in Egypt. Um, like actually, these sand dunes just outside this oasis by the name of Siwa. There's been other times, like um, this region in the north of Mexico called the Copper Canyon area. It's an incredible region. It's like four times bigger than the Grand Canyon. And I've done about five trips there over the last two decades. But the very first trip. Actually, it was the first bus ride I ever took when I first came to Mexico. Um, it was robbed by these masked bandits, like at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. I had a gun held to my head. <laughs> um, Phil loves these kind of stories. This is great. <laughs> yeah. What do you get to do then in terms of treks? Yeah, what, 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 have you, what do you want to do? Oh, there's still a few places out there. I've never been to Kyrgyzstan. 
I've always fancied going to Kyrgyzstan and um, actually the Kimberleys in Australia. It's a, I've been to Western Australia, but I've never been up to the Kimberleys. So I'd like to spend a bit of time up there. And um, it's part of Ethiopia, the Rift Valley area um, in Africa that I'd love to get to. Oh, look, I, th- I think it's one of those things where irrespective of how much hiking you've done or how many places you've been, there's, there's always something else to do, you know, and, and there's always other places to explore and yeah, I mean, it's been something I've done pretty much my whole my whole life and something I, I plan to continue to do or I hope I continue to do for the next 60 years or so. Well, listen, it's been fabulous talking to you and I guess it'd be great to finish on a piece of a single piece of advice for anyone that's thinking about doing a, a long-haul trek. The big thing is really preparation, you know, just doing as much research as you can and getting as fit as possible and, and also I think... Travelling lightly, travelling as lightly as you possibly can because, I mean, it's tough to enjoy a long hike when you're carrying the kitchen sink on your back, you know, yeah. and, and you see um, that's a huge thing I always when I do talks and conferences, I'm, I'm, I'm often going on about travelling as lightly as possible and, um, and emphasising you know, necessities rather than superfluous luxuries because it all adds up. And, um, and a lot of it gets back to that whole idea of simplicity, you know, just not needing as much stuff. I think they're actually bamboo um- underpants you can buy for. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to take them off for a week. <laughs> bamboo fibre, I hope, and not just, you know, no, yeah. strapped together from pieces of bamboo. <laughs> hey, I, I let my fingers do the walking while we're having a chat there. Ecuador is on, only very slightly smaller than Colorado. Beautiful. We've got the, the US reference in there. Cam, thanks so much. We'll have links to um, not only your books but also your Instagram and a couple of other things in our show notes. Yeah, great talking to you, Cam. Just one last thing in regards to the undies. Um, yeah? Yeah, look, I know the bamboo probably sounds nice, but really you've got to go commando. <laughs> <laughs> that's even better, yes. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah that's even better. <laughs> Links to where you can pick up the hidden tracks and more on Cam in show notes. Now, Katie and Ben Phil are otherwise known as two wandering souls and they have been to a number of destinations, including Ecuador, which they say was unforgettable. We've got the guys on Skype now. Hey, Katie, Ben, two wandering souls. Hi. So what was so unforgettable about Ecuador? Oh, gosh. I think there's many things that we could say were unforgettable, but um, the things that kind of stick out about our trip to Ecuador were um, being able to experience and explore the nature and wildlife and do a lot of adventure activities. So that's kind of what sticks out. We also just had um, an amazing experience meeting other travelers and having um, a few local connections as well. Yeah, like what? So what were some of the adventure activities you got You got yourselves into? Yeah, we did quite a bit. Um, like we went cannoneering, we went mountain biking, we went planting, which is like a swing jump. Kind of like bungee jumping without the bounce back. <laughs> Point, it's fr- fr- Kim's looking very perplexed. Pointing uh, from a bridge. Yeah. So you jump off that and so you end up sort of swinging underneath a bridge like a pendulum. Right. Yep. So you're after the adrenaline rush there, yep. guys. <laughs> yeah, we got quite a few adrenaline rushes in Ecuador. We also went um, snorkeling in the Galapagos where we saw sharks and penguins and sea turtles. Manta rays. Manta rays, yeah. yeah. So we had quite the adventurous experience in Ecuador. 
Phil, I'm going to stop here and ask you. Yes. With these chats that we've done about Ecuador. Yes. Is this the kind of country you thought it was? No, not at all. No. I mean, I was amazed to find out about the waterfalls and the beautiful forests and and what have you. And now we're finding out about all the adrenaline activities as well. And for, you know, a relatively small place, it packs a punch, doesn't it? It does. Ben, what did you think when you got there? Was it above your expectations? It really was. I mean, I didn't really have any expectations coming in, but, I mean, just after finding out everything that you can do within the whole country. It's so small, but it has so many things to do. And it, it just, it's really fun. Phil, you found out it was the size of what? Uh, it's the size of Colorado. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That puts it into context <laughs> for you. Now, Katie, you also, both of you spent some time working on, a, on an organic farm. So you go from this adrenaline rush to this kind of peaceful uh, village life almost. Yeah, we so we ended up signing up for this uh, volunteer program through Woofing, um, and the directions on the website were very very simple. They were you know take this local bus and have them drop you off on the side of the road. We're basically in the middle of nowhere, and then the instructions say and hike uphill for an hour and a half. <laughs> we have. Our big backpacks, and we're hiking literally in mud that's up to our knees. So we have boots on, and we're hiking, and we look at each other. The sun's going down, and we're like, are we actually going to make it to this farm, this so-called farm that we don't even know exists? And um, sure enough, we made it. Uh, Yeah, thank goodness, because we were literally in the middle of nowhere. But we spent, um, yeah, a week on this farm um, doing kind of – all sorts of different chores around the around the the homestead, and it was a really really incredible experience. What were they growing? What was the produce? They had they had a whole bunch of different vegetables and and fruits that they were growing, uh, like I think corn, tomatoes, peanuts, just a whole variety of different things. And um, they had different projects on the farm as well. Like I installed a solar shower um, to help out other. I like the way you travel. I mean, I'm not a massive adrenaline uh, junkie. I like um, being in the water and snorkeling and that sort of thing. But, but anything higher than a table, yeah, and you don't like it. No, I can't do it. But you, you're into the food, you're into authentic experiences and adventures that are off the typical tourist path. But you, you I mean, you're also young and you talk about partying on the beach in, in Ecuador. How do they party in Ecuador? Yeah, well, you know, the, this was the second country we visited after quitting our jobs. And so we were kind of ready to let loose. And Ben, ben is a former engineer, and he was very excited to have some freedom. And we um, had heard all these stories about this beachside town of Montanita. And to be honest, it's mostly travelers there that are partying. Um, and we decided to spend a few days there to be quite honest. It was not a cultural experience at all. (laughs) It was not the most beautiful beach at all, but, um, what this town promises is an epic nightlife. Yeah. And And it was a pretty fun nightlife. Like we stayed at this hostel and got to know a lot of other travelers there, played some drinking games, of course. And uh, (laughs) and then, then we went to the beach and. Uh, it's the kind of place where you can just get a, a drink at a, at a street stall and 
and roam roam through the streets or roam through the beach, and it was it was a fun night. So, what made you quit your jobs? I mean, obviously, we know why you quit your jobs, and we speak to so many people that do it for you know a sense of adventure and and just to really experience life. Um, what were you doing, Katie and and Ben? You were a um, engineer. engineer. So, what made you give it all up? Yeah, so I was um, working in graphic design and advertising. Um, and we actually both really liked our jobs and we had a comfortable life and we had a great apartment, um, great family and friends, but we just kind of realized that we could see ourselves in that same spot in 40, 50 years. And we decided that we wanted just a little bit of a chance to experience something different. Um, and honestly, what was meant to be three months, um, in South America ended up kind of snowballing and turning into something that has continued for the past five years. So yeah, it, it, um, was kind of an accidental, um, quitting our jobs and kind of staying that way. But, um, yeah. It seems to me that Americans have not really done that very much in the past. They've all been very much career oriented. And I just get the feeling that more and more Americans are deciding to chuck it in for a while and, and go traveling. Yeah. It's, it's tough when you're working at a company and you only have two weeks vacation for the whole entire year. And that was kind of what we saw. And we wanted to have a little bit more time to travel. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess a lot of Americans want to have more freedom and, and kind of, uh, get out of that type of like the everyday, yeah, everyday. routine. But, um, yeah, I think just the ability now to work online, um, and be able to make money remotely is making it so much easier for people to pick up and and quit their jobs and travel if that's what they want. Or create a new job online. Yeah, well, a graphic designer, Katie, that's easy for you to do for remotely, but it's probably yeah. not very easy to build roads or something. <laughs> I don't think he wants to. No. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit of a, a learning curve for me just to pick up more website development and... And design, and Katie's taught me a lot too. I'm, I'm making it. I'm making it work. It's pretty good. We've been talking that lifestyle up, but what's the worst thing about it? I mean, do you get homesick? Good question. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of worse things, actually. Um, yes, we do get homesick. We have missed out on a lot of events back at home. A lot of weddings or births or um, just everyday kind of things that we feel like we're missing out on. Um, but at the end of the day. It's, um, there's nothing that can um, really replace the freedom that we've been able to create. Well, the world is a big backyard. Your um, blog will share in show notes with some great stories, particularly, well, not particularly about Ecuador, because all the stories are great. All the stories are great. But there are things there about getting down and dirty on the farm. Also, border crossings from Ecuador to Peru, which Katie's not a big fan of. Katie? (laughs) Yes, we had a not-so-fun border experience. And to be honest, I think land crossings, like when you're crossing through a bus, is never really a fun experience. Um, Especially when it's in the middle of the night. (laughs) Yes. And especially when the bus is not the most comfortable. Um, But, you know, it's all all part of the journey. Phil, speaking of journeys, I've touched base and they've converted a camper van, which they've been traveling around in. And Kate said they've been listening to quite a bit of the World Nomads podcast during the build because it was um, fun to hear about travel stories while being stuck in the USA. Tricky about converting vans into camping 
bands. Kim, how's yours going? Oh, I'm off. <laughs> yes, heading off in the van to work remotely for a, a period of time and um, I'm not the only one among World Nomads that's doing that, so we might share that in a future episode. Bye. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.